When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. G'day and welcome to The Call, 10 stocks picked by you two experts one hour. It is Friday the 13th, yeah, Black Friday. Thanks for joining us. I'm Andrew Gagan. Two experts on our show today, Jumbo Lu from Trebeka Investment Partners and Philip Pepe from Shaw and Partners. Welcome to you both. Should we pay attention to the fact it's Friday the 13th? Are we superstitious at all? Yeah, that's right. Well, it might be. It's a good thing, um, right, you know, because yeah. we have many examples of Friday the 13th and things are going quite well. So, look, yeah. it's, it's great. It's, um, you know, any special day is a day that you should be, <laughs> should be uh, used as a celebration. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, one of the stocks um, I'll give a quick passing mention to is a stock called Black Cat, which put our trading up today, which, which, which was good. There you go. So, <laughs> when a company called Black Cat goes into you know, notice received on Friday 13th, right? Really? Oh, it's good. <laughs> it's got a few. Well, a little more seriously, I guess, because uh, we had that inflation read out of the States. Mm. Uh, so signs that inflation is finally coming off. The Fed, its work is, uh, is taking effect. Um, should we be encouraged by that? I mean, clearly the markets are. Yeah, look, the market is very excited by it, to be honest. Um, look, this, on, this is a third inflationary uh, inflation number print that's uh, come out a little bit better than expected. Um, well, pretty much in line, but a little bit better. So, you know, it's a sigh of relief for the market. Uh, it's a sign that Fed potentially at some point, maybe mid-year this year, uh, it will pause. Um, and, you know, whether it will cut is another story. But that's very positive for the equity market if the inflation is sort of under control and the in, if in the interest rate doesn't go rampant, it doesn't go too high and start hurting the demand. If it's a soft landing... Uh, it's all very positive for the equity markets. Yeah, Phil, do you agree? Um, and of course, we're talking about the states, but are yeah. we starting, you know, how far behind is Australia in that regard? Well, it's interesting because the US data was more favourable in terms of weaker or declining inflation rate. Australian data two days ago was actually stronger. Mm. So we saw strong retail sales, strong inflation, and 10% or a large percentage of that was rents and property uh, cost of living. They're not going going to change anytime soon, particularly rent. So it's, we do have multiple speed economies in the world. The US is the biggest and the most important. Australia is not slowing down as much as I think the RBA would like it to. So I think we're almost guaranteed two more rate rises. Um, but I think the end point might not be as high as some people fear, given what's happening in the US and certainly for the US and possibly for Australia. So we will meet, so we look at the currency, right? We will mm. meet somewhere perhaps in the middle of where analysts were forecasting, but the positive data in the US overnight was not so positive for Australia. Yeah, you mentioned, ago. I mean, rents, um, you know, shelter, that remains an issue in the States as well. And, you know, we've seen the shift, I guess, we're seeing those price of goods coming down, but services yeah. remains high, and the keys are also going to be wages. Mm, um, absolutely. At the moment, isn't it? Yeah, and remember, Australian in terms of wage increase, it hasn't been as severe as the ones in the US because Australia, two thirds of our employment market sort of under those uh, um, uh, sort of award system, which is to be negotiated over many years. That's why we've seen so many strikes over the last twelve months, and there will be more so in the coming years. Yeah. Um, so our wage will slowly creep up uh, rather than the US that jumps significantly. So you know, so for us, uh, when we talk about where we are in terms of economic cycle, we're probably six months behind US. So mm. they live by 
far ahead um, and they're a little bit more severe because of you know ease of uh, labor costs and things uh, we it will come to us but probably not to the same extent well uh, one commodity that's done well certainly off the back of that news is gold we're going to get to that in just a moment it's going to be our look at the sector of the day if you like before we do that the first five stocks we're going to take a look at in the show apn human services regal investment growth point properties uh, select harvest and Weebit nano so to our commodity of the day if you like gold in fact gold prices up again more than one percent overnight having cracked that key resistance level of nineteen hundred dollars an ounce as it benefited from a weakening us dollar and weakening bond yields in the wake of the easing inflation in the state so is now the time to buy gold or into that thematic at least or perhaps are we a little late in that regard how far does it have to go shumbay what are your thoughts Look, I think gold is something we always talk to. You need to have a little bit of gold in the portfolio, regardless of the cycle. And if you actually look at the um, the gold volatility across every other, compare that to the technology businesses and everything else, they're the most volatile tech sector. So, you know, when I look at gold, is I have a little bit as a diversification. It's never something I've tried to punt which way it's going to go. Now, looking at the performance of gold equity in Australia, last three months, it actually has performed incredibly well. It's outperformed its global peers and it's outperformed um, the gold price itself uh, in the last three months so you know I would say that now that we head into quarterly the December quarterly that's coming in the next few weeks um, you know you, there, there is potential for some of those equity to uh, sort of you know um, have a bit of sell-off or stabilization at this point um, but over the longer term I think you should just have um, you know you should always have a gold stock stick with the large liquid um, quality names because gold is you know always a risky um, you know risky uh, commodity to be pulled out of the ground and highly you know it costs a lot of money to do so very easily to make mistakes um, so, All right. Yeah. So, what, what's your preference on that front? If you're particularly looking at the larger producers, then mm. which one are you liking? Look, I, I like quite a few, and I think feel like a few of them as well. So, uh, look at this point, I have felt that um, you know Newcrest is a, is, is a good one to position in. Um, it does have a bit of copper in there, you know. So, obviously, copper price has gone through the roof as mm. well. Um, so, you know, both of these probably will see the result. Um, you know, quarterly will be quite reasonable, um, and I think it's more larger liquid and it's more a um, little bit more defensive in that sense. All right. Um, Phil, do you agree? Look, definitely agree. Uh, gold and gold companies were in the naughty quarter six to 12 months ago. Well, it was confounding, wasn't it? Particularly for the gold bugs, because, you know, you see it as an inflation hedge. It didn't transpire. I blame Bitcoin. It was linked to Bitcoin, not inflation. <laughs> Bitcoin. But, but clearly, US inflation in particular is on the way down. Uh, one thing I've observed, and many people will tell you, gold companies follow the gold price. My personal observation is no one can predict the gold price. I've noticed overnight a lot of broker downgrades from mm. buyers to holds mm. because of the share price move. That assumes they can predict where the gold price is going, and I, frankly, I don't believe that they, they, they can. Uh, but if US inflation keeps falling, it's probably going to go upwards. But for diversification purposes, hold some gold stocks, preferences for the larger, more liquid ones. Personally, I actually like um, Northern Star. Uh, it's circa 14 bill, pays a small dividend. You don't buy a resources company for a dividend, but WA base pays a small dividend, so there's some protection there. Um, but yeah, for diversification reasons, uh, perhaps worth um, holding some Northern Star. And because it's Friday 13th, and because Shore and Partners covers it, Black Cat, BCA, yeah, why not? put out a trading update today. It was positive, stock's up 4%. Our resources analyst, Andrew Hines, it's one of his, uh, top pick so if, if it's, a, it's a smaller end but if you like the more speculative explorer companies black cat. well i was going to ask so is it worth getting into the explorers at all or is that 
No, you're shaking your head, Shun Bay. No, okay, no, not going there. Yeah. They'll yeah. be very, vol- talk about volatility. The sector is volatile and talk about those little ones. They're very, yeah. very volatile. Um, but look, you know, th- there's a time to buy them, you know, when things are going well. And, you know, if you can be uh, on the pulse, you know, so I always, you know, if you're going to buy those speculative ones, you're going to be on the pulse. So you're going to watch how much return you made and then be very rational. Once you made your money, sell it and move on to something else. It's not something that you buy and hold. All right. That is the picture of gold, as Jumbo says, everyone needs just a little bit at least in their portfolio. Okay, so into those stocks as picked by you, uh, the first one, APM Human Services International. Roger wanted to know about this. It is uh, we include sort of matchmaking for jobs, employers, vocational education, workplace um, injury prevention, uh, listed just over a year ago. Um, and I guess, Jumbe, this is also dependent on you know, the jobs market at the moment, particularly in the face of a deteriorating economy, perhaps. Yeah, that's right. So look, this company is actually a good business. It, it has it essentially have uh, offer services to governments, had contracts with governments around the world. Um, Australia is the biggest market and they offer help government to offer those employment or matching employment services to people who's unemployed uh, and then they get paid by the government. So it's a very stable sort of contract um, and a very steady revenue. But the issue is it has a couple of large contracts. And, uh, you know, I think last 12 months when it first listed didn't go too well because of there was some big contract renewal and right now I think there's a bit of a slow ramp up uh, with the UK contract that they um, they just renewed or they just signed um, so it is a bit slower and it does look like uh, it will be um, you know uh, it will be under it will be you know disappointing to consensus uh, expectations for the next couple of years because these are long dated contracts so um, so for me it's cheap um, you know it's uh, it offers a dividend like a good a good cash flow and things but you know for me it's probably more of a neutral um, um, you know, it's it, valuation is never a reason to buy something. I always feel you, if your earnings going to get downgraded, that's going to be very challenging, especially now we're heading into a slow environment. Government may want to cut costs and, you know, maybe some of those contracts will disappoint. So I'm taking that as a hold. It's a hold. Yeah. Okay. Phil? I don't, I don't disagree, but I'm going to call it a buy because I think all that's in the price. Because I had a look at the result. It's been listed for just over 12 months, mm-hmm. as you said. They actually beat prospectus forecasts for about five to seven percent depending on the line uh, it is a contractor sure um, it's pretty safe contracts because it's, it's essential services it's not interest rate rises for example aren't going to change what they do changing employment might but what I find fascinating um, there was a particular day where the stock just gapped downwards and a lot of volume and I couldn't work out why and if you do a, a press search there, w- there was um, two major industry funds that merged Uh, and there was a rationalisation of the fund manager. So it looks like someone lost a mandate and this was one of the smaller cap stocks that were owned and the stock just got thrown out. So it looks to me like a transition manager may have just dumped the stock because they had a week to make a portfolio A look like portfolio B and it got thrown out with the bathwater. And then combine that with the issues that Jumbe's risen about um, certainty of the short-term earnings, no one's rushed back in to buy it. So I actually think um, it was oversold for non-fundamental reasons, all the negativities in the price. So there's probably a good trade in it into the next uh, six to nine months result, if it was purely sold off because of the transition, which my high-level um, research suggests that it may have been. Mm. I actually think it's a buy because no one's looking at it because of those reasons, but if they can get through the uncertainty, uh, it could pop, because it's trading below issue, below the IPO price, so it could get back to the IPO price in the next six months as some of that um, uncertainty gets resolved. <coughs> All right, there, a buy from Phil for APM Human Services. 
Moving on to uh, funds management, in fact, uh, we're taking a look at Regal Investments. Uh, Robin saying, I'd like to put about 30% of my super fund into bottom drawer safe investments with a decent chance of either a dividend yield or long-term growth. What do you think of RF1? Um, Phil, it is a listed investment trust. Talking about dividend, it's decent. Uh, trailing distribution there, twelve more than 12%. But funds managers generally have obviously been struggling uh, given what's going on in the broader environment. So first of disclosure, uh, Regal, uh, the Regal Fund raised some money in December last year. I think it's $80 million. Shaw and Partners were involved. Okay. Uh, so it's obviously a buy. Um, no, but the, the, it's, it's, a, it's an alternative investment manager. So for alternative strategies, you, you don't put 30% of your portfolio in an alternative. What the right number is depends on your circumstances, but it shouldn't be your biggest single investment. Um, but if you look at the returns they have delivered since inception, this is all public information that they put out at the time of the capital raise. Since inception to, I think it was 31 October, the fund was up 100% versus a market of 20. So they've delivered. So you, you can buy today at NAV for a company that's bef- uh, for a fund that's performed five times the market. It invests in market neutral strategies, Aussie long short, Aussie small caps, emerging companies, long short healthcare, global alpha, water res- and resources royalties, different proportions. Those individual funds have had different performance, but it's quite a good way to get diversified exposure to an alternative manager. So definitely would have some, not 30, maybe 5%. Mm. Um, but given the track record, given with interest rate rises, it's going to move. It's going to impact different sectors to a different um, uh, uh, extent. They can short in some of their funds, so it gives you further diversification. I actually am happy to be a shorter. Some people are anti-shorting. I, I'm, I'm in favour of it. Uh, it's a good way to diversify your portfolio in the fund that's delivered, and you're getting in it NAV. I'm presuming that question, talking about thirty percent um, of your super, there it's investments plural, so okay. perhaps not the intention of just one. But I'll take Wouldn't your point. Put thirty percent of your yeah. super into it. Yeah. Jumbay, your thoughts. Yeah. Look, I always believe that if you want to gain exposure to a fund manager, um, just put the money with the fund manager rather buy rather than buying the listed vehicle. Because as Phil touched on, listed vehicle will go through cycles. When share market is going up, they may trade at a premium to NTA. When share market goes down, they trade a huge discount to the NTA. So you know, there's additional uncertainty uh, compared to just putting money and gain expertise or gain their expertise. You know, Regal's a you know great great generator, great return across all of that. But I do want to add, um, been running my fund for long short uh, for four years, number one versus survey versus Regal. There is an alternative if you want. So, okay. But so you do <laughs> want to invest with the fund manager, uh, just list a vehicle. You just don't know when the market cycle. Next six months, maybe share market will be a little bit tough. Mm. Uh, but then uh, post that, we might have a rally. So it will do well when the market is rising just because, you know, the farm will change and things. So, um, you know, across that whole funds management space, I think, you know, they have performed very well. Um, you know, I always like Pinnacle. Quite frankly, I think Pinnacle's underperformed a lot. Heading into result, it's looking pretty good. Um, it is more expensive than the others, but it's very diversified. So, you know, if you want to buy a diversified manager rather than investing individually with different manager, then, you know, Pinnacle is your way to go. So that's how I see it. it I'll probably put a neutral for this stock. Um, and, um, you know, I do think in this space, they will probably they'll probably will do more M&A, um, you know, just given the Pendle and Perpetual what eventuated there and then potentially there's a few other to come through. So, um, yeah, so it's a neutral for me at this point. Are, are there any fund managers? I mean, you've already you said at the top there that if you're going to invest, you know, put your money with them, not into them as mm-hmm. such. 
Uh, are there any fund managers you see as attractive then? Yeah, so right now as a listed fund manager, so yeah. I do think Pinnacle is right, um, yep. it's underperformed quite a bit. And I think just even as short term heading to this result, um, I think there is a bit of upside in terms of earning surprises on the upside. Um, and also if you take a longer term view, it's very diversified, um, you know, and it's fantastic. It's really you're buying a distribution team that has, you know, winning formula and um, this is who you want to back. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's get into property now. Our third stock being Growth Point Properties Australia. Patrick wanting to know about this. Uh, it's in industrial and office property um, with investments worth more than $5 billion. And uh, well, I think it's based on its FY22 results. Uh, portfolio mainly leased, in fact, to government um, organisations. Uh, so fairly solid there and um, an occupancy of around 97%. Um, so uh, Jumbei, um, you know, we know what's going on in property there, but obviously industrial has outperformed. How do you look at Growth Point? Yeah, look, I think Growth Point is, um, I would just put a neutral on it at this point, but I will give you an alternative because I think, you know, if you want to gain exposure to uh, property, and I think now probably is a good time to start looking at them because of the expectations for interest rates probably peaked. So that means the valuation for, for this pro entire property sector is um, probably done. So, you know, you're actually looking at upside and then the earning will be very defensive. I will be putting money into Goodman Group. Um, that's underperformed meaningfully as well compared to the market. Um, it is has the best industrial sort of property, um, you know, that you can get your hands on. Um, you know, share price, yeah, share price hasn't performed, and it's the number one top, um, you know, top quality sort of property um, industrial portfolio that's sitting in uh, uh, in in the Australian market. So I'll be absolutely looking at positioning to that one, um, and also in property, you know, on the value end, what's interesting is that a lot of offers. So that's kind of you know you reconstructing growth point using quality player like large top quality player which is you know you can go Texas and then you can go Goodman Group which is essentially you forming your growth points um, both of these um, have underperformed and Texas is sitting at very very sort of value territory um, any sign of that whole bond yield interest rate stabilization you will see it move quite quickly so your preference clearly for industrial so what are you not touching perhaps well residential commercial retail yeah, so um, I, I actually retail has performed quite well in terms of the property uh, asset class. Mm. Um, I think the result will be okay. Um, the challenge is that we are heading into a slowing retail environment mm. um, and uh, it's just going to be a little bit harder. What's interesting is the center group, which holds the most premium retail um, uh, retail assets, uh, they actually have very good inflation escalator and most of, you know, Goodman Group will have a lot of information uh, inflation escalator so that they can be hedged, good hedge against the high interest, uh, inflation. Um, but uh, the challenge is just if retail slows down, these retail landlord will struggle a little bit. But I think actually they actually perform okay. Residential is going to be challenging. Um, I just think look, you know, look at the um, the forward indicators of uh, approvals and things. They fall in quite quickly. Mm. Um, you know, multi-res is looking okay, but that will f that will follow. All right. So Phil, if you want exposure in this sector, is Growth Point the way to go? Look, I agree. It's a hold. Um, right. I actually do think there's perhaps some asset negative revaluations to come into 30 June because they mark to market every six months. So we'll see some interest rate rises into 30 June. So you'll probably see some uh, revaluations through the balance sheet. It's interesting that the occupancy is quite high and it is um, government sector. The government sector, my channel checking, 
that's clearly a sector that's going to have a permanent working from home status, working remotely status. Other corporate firms will probably at some stage demand people back in the office. I think government roles, part of the attraction is flexible working space. So will they keep that 9% occupancy? Will they reduce their footprint going forward because there will be a component that's always going to work remotely? I don't know. So for me, it's a hold. It's not expensive, um, but it's a hold. I prefer companies, one that I cover is called Surfcorp Limited, which is a flexible office space. So company, Surfcorp. Surfcorp. SRV. Yeah. Uh, you companies can add and remove seats as they need them and they also offer a virtual office package where it looks like you're working from um, Barangaroo but you're actually sitting in Bankstown and you come to Barangaroo when you need to and book a room and when you don't need the room you, you head back to back to your home office. So whether whether people like it or not working remotely work is here to stay. Uh, so I'm still cautious the permanent more permanent office um, companies. I think it's probably six months too soon. So it's a hold on that one, and if you want a smaller alternative, um, I'd look at something like Surfcorp in the small, yeah. single-digit PE, single-digit dividend uh, dividend yield, uh, one for the small cap. Uh, okay, investors. that's growth point properties. Moving on to uh, select harvests uh, that took almonds. Um, in fact, it is the largest almond growing processor uh, in Australia. I think it's about the third largest in the world, as I believe. Um, and it did warn of its latest guidance there of uh, challenges ahead with low prices, high costs, and of course, Phil, it's weather dependent. I have to say, you'd have to be nuts. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I use that joke all the time. It, it, it's a hold for me. Um, it's been a great performer in the right environment. This is not the right environment. Um, it was an interesting trading update at the four-year result. It was almost Murphy's Law. Prices are set globally, whether we like it or not. The, um, volumes are set domestically. They've given guidance for flat volumes, I think 30,000 tonnes flat on, on last year. Their costs are going up. We'll know fertiliser prices, crop protection, chemical prices are going up. You expect their margins um, to go down. So we know that with certainty prices uh, seem to have come down. Costs are going up. Volume risk is to the downside if the bad weather events continue. So for me, for this stock, it's, it's, it's a hold at best, just put it aside, give it six to 12 months for conditions in their space to normalize and then revisit. In the right market, it's been a great performer. New CEO starts in Feb. Uh, is he gonna clean out the balance sheet? It's probably not a lot to clean out, but mm. I, I would wait for the full year result on this one and see what the balance sheet looks like and then have a think about uh, buying back in. Yeah, just as a teaser, in fact, we're going to talk about a couple of ag stocks a bit later, or certainly as far as those inputs into a business like uh, Select Harvest. But um, more generally, are you wary of ag stocks, as I pointed out, you know, uh, very much dependent on the weather, but also you've got those rising costs at the moment. It depends on what part of the sector you, you're part of. So the latest ABS report that came out in December is forecasting a bumper crop in Australia. Uh, we've still got shortage of supply because of Russia, Ukraine. So fertiliser, crop protection, chemicals, soft uh, agricultural commodity prices will remain high. So if you're a producer of those um, items, you're doing well. Uh, if you're a grower of a particular commodity that's in oversupply, you're probably going to struggle because you've got the cost. You know, those higher price points for the seller is that you're buying those, so your cost of doing business is going up and your prices are going down. So it depends on which part of, not, not, all, not all ag is created equal to be like retail. But yeah. um, if, if you're a, a seller of the higher priced um, uh, commodities and you're getting good margins, I'm a buyer of those businesses. If you're a buyer of those higher priced um, commodities, I, I would avoid those for the short term. Jumai. 
Yeah, I'm on the same page. I'll be avoiding it for now. Um, no, but, uh, despite it looks very cheap, um, it's been looking cheap for a very long time. It's just pricing, um, you know, in terms of volume, we know what the volume is, and but because this price is set globally, uh, the pricing have yet to stabilize. And, um, you know, and the, this is um, because this is soft commodity business um, and uh, you know maybe a decade ago maybe a little bit over a decade ago there was this huge because rising almond prices there was this huge supply of well, growing planting of almond crops I remember um, and then there was a lot of growing in California around that area and um, you know which has led to uh, oversupply during good seasons and so that you know over the last 10 years I think you know this industry trying to work through those oversupply um, and the, it just turned out the weather has been so very raw and that there's just been a lot of almond produced. So, you know, they, they probably working through that, but right now the volume looking at in line to a little bit bigger. And uh, so, you know, until you can see the stabilization in pricing, it's very hard to be getting in and, you know, go long almond because it is a long cycle, you know, mm. each plant take 10 years, um, you know, so it is a very long planning cycle. Um, and then at the same time, when all the costs are going higher, it's a very, very tough spot at the moment. It looks very cheap, but, you know, right now it's not the time. Same question, and more broadly, when you're mm -hmm. looking at ag stocks at the moment, what mm -hmm. are you considering? Look, it's the cost. Um, you know, where you know, how, how can you wear those costs? Um, you know, and can you actually pass the um, pass it through to uh, to your altar whether demand is strong enough to take it? I think the it, last twelve months it was well, first part of twelve months initially looked like there's shortage of a lot of food and things. So you have and demand was still very strong when the world was growing, reopening. Um, it looked like the price can be passed through. But now in the next twelve months, certainly we're heading into a slower consumer environment. Pricing is going to be harder. Um, and at the same time, your cost is not coming off fast enough. So, you know, I just think next 12 months could be really tough for some of those uh, uh, soft commodity producers. All right. That is Select Harvest. Something completely different now. We're getting into tech. Weebit Nano. John wanted to know about this. Um, it is uh, a developer of memory tech for the semi industry. In fact, it recently announced its first... 22 nanometer demonstration chip to manufacturing. So hopefully one of my experts here is going to unpack this for me. Um, it's a process known as having been taped out, uh, low power, cost effective, embedded, non-volatile memory solution able to withstand harsh environments. And in fact, on the back of that, I mean, the share price has moved considerably higher. Jumbei, um, yeah. How much do you know about this? Oh, I was the technology, at least. I know. I was hoping Phil can unpack that for me. <laughs> Rolls and, off the uh, yeah. Look, it certainly looks um, looks very interesting. And share price had a rally because they re reached this co first uh, commercial deal. When mm. you know that's a big thing because you know a lot of companies doing a lot of research. And uh, you know when you can get a commercial deal, it is a first sign that you know of recognition that this is actually working. Um, certainly, it's exposing to an area where there's you know th there's growth. Um, and uh, it looks very interesting from my perspective. But uh, um, you know, for me, it's still probably early stage. Um, I'm, I'm not sure where uh, where field stands, but for me, it's probably now watch uh, to see how it goes um, because it's still very, very early stage. Even though it's got a commercial, um, you know, agreement, um, and it probably just means there's a bit more revenue coming through. Uh, but it's uh, you know still a bit too early for me. Uh, but it certainly seems very interesting. It's yeah. Watch and see. So I mean, because when you talk about the semi industry, um, and obviously you know it has been tough times, but you see potential there. But you're saying you're obviously cautious because you want to see 
a little more development here before you yeah. can actually get onto it. That's right. And also semi-industry is going through quite a lot of transition as well themselves. You know, we all knew um, 12 months ago we had this huge shortage and, and the like and uh, because of the border closure and disruption and things. And now suddenly we've gone into glut of a lot of those things, things in memory and things. Mm. So a lot of uh, technology and things that was designed to try and resolve the, um, you know, the, the shortage and things, it's, you know, it's changing. So um, and then a lot of chips will be made somewhere else so you know there's a lot of rationalization and I think if any company is designed um, to benefit from that changing workflow I think it's a huge market because it is changing a lot of chip make chip makers won't be going to you know trying to avoid Asia and you know moving back to America in the recent reporting season we heard a lot of that so if they can play into that workflow um, I think there's a huge market yep okay Phil, I'll put you on the spot. Can you explain the technology then? Uh, my gross oversimplification, nobody write this down. Uh, they make a better version of random access memory, RAM. Everyone's got RAM in their computer. Yeah. It's a better, more modern version, more efficient. It's a better mousetrap. Technology evolves, we get better everything over time. This is the next iteration of random access memory. Grossly oversimplified, they'll hate me for saying that, but, <laughs> but, but, but that's what it is. It's been a long time coming. I've met with this company on and off over the years. I met with them recently finally made a major step forward and it's reflected in the share price. 700 million market cap hasn't sold a chip. Um, so there's a lot in the price. I wouldn't jump off now to be honest. If you wore the volatility, you'd hang on because something's about to happen. Wouldn't chase it now. I wouldn't make it 30% of my super fund. But if you like to speculate on the, on the next big thing, looks like they made a, a major step forward with their latest announcement. It's purely speculative, it is very early. Um, there might be someone building an even better mousetrap behind the scenes that will come to market. Um, but it, it's been a long time coming to get this point. They are at this point. I would hold on for another 12 months and see what happens. Uh, I certainly wouldn't chase it at, at this level. So given the recent positive announcement, it's a hold for me. Um, I wouldn't buy it at, um, at current level. Oh, okay, so you, you're willing to hold it if you're there, uh, but, but otherwise yeah. you, you're gonna watch it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It doesn't generate money, it doesn't generate dividend, it's, mm. it's speculative. In, in this market, I prefer the cash generators, the profit earners, the interest rate insensitive companies. This is definitely an interest rate sensitive company. Um, but it's recently delivered a good announcement, so you might as well wait and see how that plays out. If uh, given, You didn't buy it for fundamental reasons, you bought it for speculation, yep. so you might as well hang on to it for a period of time. Good one. Yep. We at Nano. All right, so let's sum up the first half of the show. We began with our, well, it's commodity of the day. In fact, uh, gold, given where that price is going, receiving another boost overnight with that US dollar coming off along with bond yields there. So uh, asked our two guests for their preferences there. Uh, Jumbe pointing out you always need a bit of gold in your portfolio. Uh, in terms of a gold miner, though, uh, her preference is at the big end. Uh, Newcrest, she's liking because it's also got a bit of copper. Um, Phil. Um, likewise, but he's, his preference is Northern Star, and given it is Black Friday, he's also going for Black Cat in the Explorer space. Uh, to the ones as picked by you, APM Human Services uh, in the uh, jobs uh, matchmaking field, um, a hold from Jumbe, and um, given it's, um, she said though, it does look uh, relatively cheap. Phil's got a buy on it, saying it's beat uh, prospective forecast and it's looking oversold at these current levels. Regal Investment, uh, an alternative investment manager, um, Phil pointing out up to 100% up since its inception uh, three and a half years ago. He has a buy, but um, Shores has been involved there. And Jumbe uh, is neutral on this. She, in, in that sort of area, she's liking, uh, she's liking Pinnacle. Growth Point Properties, 
uh, neutral from Jumbay. Um, her preference there is Goodman Group, particularly when you talk about uh, industrial property, and fulfil a hold, um, preferring Servcorp perhaps at the smaller end. Into uh, ag-related stocks, Select Harvest, a hold from Phil, saying it's not the right uh, environment. Uh, costs are rising, which is acknowledged by the company too, and Jubay is avoiding it, but does acknowledge it does look quite cheap at these levels. And finally there, Weebit Nano. Um, both essentially, it's too early, despite the advances it's making in the commercial deal that's been struck. So uh, Phil's saying if you, if you have it, hold it, but otherwise watch it. All right, so let's uh, get into the portfolio that we're tracking here, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. So checking in on the update going into December and into the New York New Year, Vapcor and Domino's were removed. Index and Janus and Education were added and Elders weighting was increased. In terms of performance, so far it's up 9.5% on a cumulative return basis since the beginning of March last year. So keep sending in your requests, keep the call switched on to see what the committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, and next we're going to be taking a look at uh, a couple of ETFs, in fact, coming our way. MSCI Japan ETF, the BetaShares Global Uranium ETF, and the iShares Core Composite Bond, and then a couple of ag stocks which I flagged earlier in the show, New Farm and GrainCorp. So let's get into some of those ETFs then. And Phil, the MSCI Japan ETF uh, exposure to around, what, 85% of the Japanese stock market. Is that a place to be at the moment? I'm going to say sell because why would an Australian want a single exposure to the Japanese share market? It's not very to be buying an MSCI portfolio. Uh, but if you look at the composition of the Japanese share market, it's 24% IT. Uh, about 19% industrials, 19% consumer discretionary. Most people will tell you IT, consumer discretionary, probably got a tough period coming in general. Um, so why would you want a concentrated exposure to those sectors and then in Japan? Uh, so for me, given the type of investment in the country, I'd say you don't need to be there by, a, by an international, by a more broader global fund than it's broader sectors rather than a Japanese tech type dominated fund. Uh, mm. So for me, it's a sell based on there's not the best way to construct a portfolio unless you're buying one in every region uh, an Asia portfolio a US portfolio Europe portfolio um, you just don't need to be in a single country fund unless it's Australian yeah I was going to say would you be more interested in a slice of Asia as such particularly given what's going on in China at the moment exactly Asia X Japan fund uh, an MSCI fund just something more broader more diversified rather than a, a bet on Japan which you know, Japan has or has still at negative interest rates. Mm. You know, it's, do you really want exposure to that um, for indefinitely? Yep. Okay. Too bad. 
I know I'm the same. Like you ask the question, why? Uh, why would you buy um, you know a Japan fund? Um, if anything, next twelve months you want to be in China fund, you know, because China's underperformed meaningfully. Uh, it's now reopening its economy. Still early days, but you know, you certainly want exposure to the China consumer, China tech, which has just gone through a tremendous amount of regulatory reform. So um, yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't put my money in there. Um, I think you know, as a global investor, if you want to build a global portfolio, you look what's in the MISCI. You certainly want to have um, Asia, which is China. Mm. Um, you have to have China or Hong Kong. You know, you have you have to have those exposure um, and that will be the shiny spot of the of the share market across the ne- over the next 12 months um, globally is it is that a good way to get in um, if you're looking at China and perhaps more broadly Asia via an ETF because obviously from an Australian investors perspective it does get a bit tricky trying to pick mm. and choose oh absolutely so yeah. uh, look for a retail investor it's you know unless you can be constantly watching and know exactly what's going on and particularly in Asia it's really difficult um, even for fund managers you kind of need to find the fund manager that has people on the ground because there's a lot of news flow you just miss so you know it's an ETF is the easiest way to do so um, or you can pick a fund manager that has over overall long-term good track record in that space um, but if you want to actively trade them ETF is the best way to go yeah Okay, so that's a double mo essentially then for the uh, Miski Japan ETF IJP. Uh, getting into our next ETF, we're going into uranium. Uh, this is the beta shares global uranium, URNM. And uh, Kathy wanted to know about this one, exposure to um, a portfolio of leading companies in the, well, the global uranium industry. Uh, in mining, exploration, development, um, also production of nuclear energy there. Um, so Jumbei now, of course, it's been such a wild ride, tricky, essentially, ever since the Fukushima disaster, where we've mm. had many false dawns mm. as far as uranium. Then we had, you know, obviously the invasion of uh, Ukraine, the energy crisis, uh, governments turning their attention back to the possibility of uh, recommissioning those Mm. nuclear plants they already have or Mm. those that don't, Mm. thinking about uh, perhaps smaller reactors to get things Mm. moving quickly to Mm. get an alternative source of energy. So is this the way to go? I guess, you know, it begs the question of what your thoughts are as far as the prospects for uranium is concerned. Yeah, look, I think it's um, it's, it's for this this uranium sector is still just too speculative. We so far um, over the last many decades, we never had we you know whether it's accident prone or none. There's I, I don't think there's ever a single uranium plant being built within the cost estimates. Um, it's always you know a cost overrun and issues and things. So you know they do need um, you know for this sector to properly run as a proper asset class, you need to see things being commissioned and then run properly. Um, and we just haven't had much you know, good track record of that. So for me, it's speculative. And yes, um, you know, with the ESG focus and, you know, clean energy, as well as, you know, energy crisis in the last 12 months, you will have more focus turning onto it. But, you know, we also have investment across the, you know, hydropower, solar, and a whole lot of other things, and also energy efficiency, battery, battery power. So there's a lot of technology investment into those new areas, which, you know, may uh, in time, say five years, because each plant takes 10 years to be built at least. So, you know, it may well erode the attraction of this sector. At the same time, the energy crisis we talked to, the oil prices spiked uh, mid last year, and ever since been tracking down. And now we have the, um, you know, the 
European winter not as bad as expected, and uh, you know we've got the global growth slowing down. So you know, with oil prices potentially heading lower, um, you know you will have less attention turned to some of those more risky or unproven um, sector and technology, if you like. So to me, it's too speculative at this point. Um, it is sentiment. You trade it really, you buy sentiment, um, and I think we probably passed the peak of interest um, for this sector. So then, I'm assuming you have absolutely no Australian-listed uranium stocks in your portfolio. I don't have any, but we do have a uranium fund. If you do want to have exposure, <laughs> okay. that's where you put your money. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, Phil, what, what are your thoughts then? We like the sector as a house. Um, I agree with everything Junbei said. It'll take longer than most people think. If you want to go green, there has to be a uranium solution. We talked about CPI, inflation earlier, cost of living heating um us isn't um isn't isn't pushing prices up as much as we thought but over time they are going up there's talk in the papers about carbon credits and trying to force oil and gas companies to become more efficient etc etc just go green do um go uh, go nuclear it's not going to happen overnight it will happen over time i think one of the individual companies we like is paladin but as jumbe said picking one company they're all traveling at different speeds. Things take longer than they need to. A good way to play the sector might be through a fund like this that's diversified, but it's not for everyone. So I've been calling it a hold. Um, it is uh, potentially a, a good part of some people's portfolios. And for those who do have a green bent and agree that eventually um, this will be part of our, our normal um, living life, then maybe invest in this fund. Um, but it's not for everyone, so I'm calling it a hold. But I do think to be truly green, to truly get the, the carbon emissions down, we have to switch to something. Um, it, it won't be coal. Uh, it's coal for the foreseeable future. It won't be coal. Um, this is a, a, a viable alternative. As a, as a house, we love a whole bunch of stocks that we've got buys on, but I'm going to call this one a hold because it's not for everyone. When you say, we say you've got a whole bunch of stocks, what, as in uranium stocks that we locally listed, yeah, yeah. Paladin being one of them that you're liking? Yeah. Right, okay. If you want, if an investor is dying for some exposure in the renewable space, yeah. is this part of that then, you see? Or you, this is certainly a longer term play, that's what you're talking about. No, absolutely. And this yeah. is a good way for someone who doesn't want to analyse 25 stocks and be on top of every announcement and follow what's happening on the other side of the world in terms of pricing. Uh, and an exposure like this is actually quite diversified and it's less... Um, less ongoing research involved. You're playing the theme, you're playing the space rather mm. than any individual company specifically. Mm. It's a safer way to play a volatile space if that makes any sense. It does make sense. All right, that's the BetaShares Global Uranium ETF, URNM. Our next ETF is uh, the iShares Core Composite Bond, IAF. Wayne, wanting to know about this uh, exposure to, well, it's a, a portfolio of Australian uh, investment grade fixed income securities. Uh, there's, we're talking about treasury bonds, corporate bonds, cash, and the like. And Phil, I guess, you know, we hit on both fronts last year, weren't we? As far as equities and bonds, uh, we both we suffered from both. Yeah. What's the picture now that we're seeing? Perhaps you know, we're near near the end of, well, closer to the end, I guess, than we were to the interest rate cycle hike. Yes, yeah, so interest rates have gone up. Uh, let's say cash rates go up another 50 basis points. I think the long term, the 10 year bonds at 3.5 or so, that might stay at 3.5, maybe it goes to 4. Um, but we've certainly approaching the, the top of, um, uh, of interest rate rises. 
those returns are still better than cash at bank, which you know I think there was a press article saying the major banks are still yet to pass on the savings account interest rate rises to their customers. Um, in these sorts of instruments, you get them immediately. Um, and in any long-term total portfolio, fixed interest investments will be maybe 30% uh, of your portfolio. So for, for the layperson can, um, conducting their own um, investments, you don't always get access to the Commonwealth Bank um, bond issues or other, you know, um, this is a good way to get diversified exposure to a bunch of them through a trust. So again, I'm going to call it a hold because it's not for everyone, but uh, for the layperson who perhaps should have some fixed interest in their portfolio, um, and you don't want to work out the difference between a CBA bond and a Westpac bond or a Macquarie bond, et cetera, um, buy an index, um, and you'll still get the benefit of the rate rises. Um, again, less labor intensive, less research involved, um, but not for everyone. So I'll call it a hold. Does the 60-40 does the portfolio hold at the moment when you're talking bonds equities? Depends on your age, depends on how long to, re, to retire. Uh, mm. No, if you're in your 20s, yes, if you're in your 50s, yep. is a rule of thumb, but it depends Depends on how many liabilities you've got. Do you have a home loan? Do you have kids to pay for school fees for? Uh, you might have 100% equities if you have no debt and you're single and you've, you've got an appetite for risk. Yep. But most people would have, your typical portfolio is 65 70% growth assets, 30% defensive. You wouldn't put the whole 30% into this, mm. but you, you, you might put five. Okay. Jumai? Gosh, you're making it really hard for me. Not only you asked me to <laughs> invest in the passive, um, you know, list the fund manager as an active fund manager, yeah. asking me if I should invest my money in bond. Um, I'm an equity fund manager, <laughs> and I certainly think share market is where you should put your money. Um, now, uh, look, in, ter- in terms Despite of- how old you are. <laughs> despite how old you are. Right. You should always, this 640, 60-40 split, right? So yeah. 60% meant to be growth assets. Now, in the old days, growth asset used to be just share market, but nowadays, you know, they've got a bit more. You've got, you know, share market, you've got private equity, you've got venture capital, you know, there's a whole lot Bitcoin. of other things. Bitcoin, yeah, that you don't want to put too much in there. So, you know, so it's a, it's a 60 40, you know, it's it's probably still for the long term, it's good, but you need to have some growth asset, particularly now we're heading into an environment where inflation is still pretty high um, and, um, you know, and then the, we're heading into a slower sort of economic activity environment. So, you know, so this sort of environment, you do want some growth in your, in your portfolio. Um, you know, whether you put your money in the fixed income, I agree with Phil, I think, you know, the valuation, the, you know, the sell off across the big sell-off across bonds is probably done because of the interest rate. We've got to still another 50 basis point to go here and US probably 75. But we're sort of reaching that peak um, sort of interest rate increase now. If anything, we started, the expectation will start heading lower. So mm. that's good for bond. But in the equity market, you can buy things that's similar to bonds. Good quality companies that can pass through um, prices, uh, you know, to pass through inflation by increased prices. Things like Goodman Group or other infrastructure-like sort of businesses, you know, they will generate really good capital return uh, growth at the same time you get some dividend um, and um, you know so it's it's just that little bit more than the normal um, fixed income where it's purely because where the interest rate expectation is going they will give you you know more growth more company individual news the global rollout and things so um, so my view is that yeah rather than you know just pile into a fixed income probably put into things like Goodman Group or yeah. other long duration sort of more growth defensive growth companies all right, so that's a pass essentially then from you. <laughs> Fair I enough. I wouldn't put my money in there. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, let's uh, let's get back into individual stocks then. And, and we were flagging this earlier. Uh, we're going to end with a couple of uh, ag-related stocks, um, and that being the first one being their new farm is uh, chemicals, crop protection, seed technology. Uh, most recent reporting a twenty-four percent increase in EBITDA. 
and spoke positively about FY23, um, that it's still on track to meet its FY26 revenue aspirations. Jumbe, New Farm. Yeah, um, I would say neutral at this point. This company has had disappointing news for years after years, probably for like five years or a decade. But last 12 months, Star has aligned for this business. You know, uh, the growing condition is good, and then there's shortage of those a lot of those um, chemicals and things, which means the price is through the roof. And the uh, environment, consumer environment, was strong, so they can pass through um, a lot of those uh, high cost input costs and things. So you know, margins growing, they deliver great growth, and then now 2023 is looking like a good year as well for them. And uh, you know, that's pretty much locked in. So um, you know, it's a hold, but the, the do be mindful because this is. A um, you know a crop protection it's a it's a cyclical business so when price of crop protection stays high for quite some time as we touched on before people stop planting a lot of new seeds you know there because um, it's just getting too expensive to really service to plant or the rice field or whatever you start making um, choices about what you want to do and what we have heard is that because price has gone up so much that uh, a lot of farmers has pulled back in terms of planting now of course in the long term we put more pressure upward pressure on food costs um, but for the near term you know after another strong year say in 2023 you will head into a slower environment and by then we don't know if the rain condition is going to be good for planting and things so so there's a lot of risk and uncertainty um, on the horizon. They do have a good business, the seed business that's been growing, been growing really strongly. The Omega-3 seed um, business has been growing at like over 20%. And that is still a very small part of the business, um, but that's potentially optionality. Um, but to me is that, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of um, things are going really well for this business at the moment. And I know at some point uh, it will slow down. Um, probably you're looking at next six to 12 months. So it's a hold for me. Uh, just, yeah probably just ride it for the next six months. Okay, but when you look at the broader, I guess, global food security situation, mm. um, would this company not benefit certainly longer term? And I mean, I guess that's been accentuated by you know the war in Ukraine and the pressure that's put mm. on particularly grains. Yeah, look, it's true. But the challenge is that, um, you know, they, they do sell to, um, you know, the, the fertilizer and a lot of those prices still mm. are very elevated levels. So, you know, and then that simply means this is a short term uh, benefit to these guys. Um, and also because of right growing condition and things, it's short term benefit. Once we move to the next 12 months, you need that price to stay at that high. Um, and at the same time, you need the farmer's ability to pass on those prices to people who will need to buy those foods. So, you know, it just there's a lot of uncertainty moving forward as you're just coming off a very big year. And for mm. cyclical stock, you just need to be a bit mindful of that. It's a bit like retailers. You know, they have a great year um, selling all the stock and then yep. next year they're going to have to compare it to the current year. So, you know, it's always going to get harder in the following year unless there's something structural different about this business going forward. And all right. Business will yep, all good points. Um, Phil, then what's your outlook? Uh, look, I, th I think they're currently in some strong trading conditions and their short-term outlook is positive. Um, I think that's largely reflected in the price, so I'm, I'm going to call it a hold. Uh, I think they've got a very strong first-half result coming up. Uh, we're in the middle of, um, or start of, Northern Hemisphere winter, so they buy a lot more than, than Australians buy. Uh, because of the high prices of fertiliser and crop protection chemicals, where the farmer can, they've deferred purchases that they'll buy it when they need to uh, and they actually need to buy it now between now and, and March and because of the um, shortage of supply because of Russia Ukraine 
farmers eventually have to buy the bought and buy. We saw something similar this time last year where the Australian farmers who were smarter than analysts saw a predicted a price spike and they bought a whole bunch of volume early. So I think um, farmers globally will repeat the same pattern by a lot of volume in the March quarter this year because of prediction of price spikes because you can't get the volume. Uh, therefore, companies who supply the currently high-priced commodities uh, or, or chemicals um, will do well uh, in, the, in the March quarter. Some of their demand is from... Um, Farmers producing wheat and wheat wheat prices are high, but as we discussed earlier with almonds, not all commodity prices are, are high. So it depends on who, who they're selling to. So conditions for them are very good now, but uh, they may, um, you know, if you get um, a strong conditions in Australia becoming more normal conditions, you might have the double negative of prices come off and volumes come off because of um, because of the demand. So conditions are good for them, good result potentially coming up largely in the price. I would hang on for the ride, but mm. I wouldn't buy it. So it's a hold for me. Okay, it's essentially a double hold then for a new farm. Well, we're just talking about those input prices as it affects um, those uh, producing. So let's get into one of those, which is Grain Corp. And it, uh, Kathy wanting to know about this. In fact, most recent news has uh, confirmed some export delays in the road and rail bottlenecks, um, not the least of course what's going on in Australia too, but uh, as it tries to ramp up supply, particularly in uh, in China, but also benefiting from successful harvests here locally to uh, most recently reporting high volumes, uh, strong demand and record-breaking net profits there at the same time. So, Phil, how do you look at Grain Corp? And I you know, guess you're also going to talk about those input costs that we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, th this one's definitely a hold with, with more downside risk than the new farm. They are almost exclusively a volume-driven business storage and handling uh, and East Coast Australia. So we know volumes of, I think, third highest year on record or second highest year on record coming up uh, for East Coast winter. We'll get an update that in February. Um, consensus seems to be worried about mean reversion. And if consensus is right, they have um, EBIT going backwards by about 45% per annum over the next two years. That might be wrong, but a company going backwards by 30 to 45% tends not to outperform. Um, share price will follow the earnings. So um, for them, because they have a limited ability to put prices up, because more you just do more on farm storage if it's too expensive, because uh, farmers can always build silos on their own land if they don't want to outsource to, to Grain Corp. Um, they can't just necessarily hike prices up 10% and expect that the, the man will remain constant. So they do, conditions are strong and will be strong for probably six to 12 months. Um, but as volume drops, it's pretty much one for one off their revenue. Um, and I think consensus is right to be nervous. Um, so I'm gonna call it a hold because things aren't gonna fall in a heap in the next six months, um, but eventually we'll get the mean reversion. So it's, it's a hold on Grain Corp. A hold, but watch it with the potential to sell I think it's a strong result coming up, yeah. Right, um, okay, but past that. But don't get greedy. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right, yeah. Jumbe. Look, I, um, I agree with that, Phil, but I'll put it on the sell because I think, you know, result will be very strong. It's widely expected. Um, the thing with share market is that people always look forward to six months. So, yep. you know, we know this could be the last best result, right? Last good result. So um, you won't see the share price go up the same to the same extent as the earnings upgrade for this result. So, you know, if the upgrade is 10%, share price probably go up less than five because we know that cliff is coming. Um, so, you know, I think I think that's a challenge for this company. And, uh, you know, as an investor, I probably just, you know, take my profit, you make good money and uh, invest elsewhere. Yep, well, as Phil says, don't get greedy. Mm. Uh, it's always a good maxim. Okay, let's, uh, let's sum up where we've been for the second half of the show. Uh, we did begin there with, uh, well, three ETFs, in fact, the MSCI Japan ETF. 
Uh, Phil said, well, I can't understand why you'd be there because there are so many better opportunities there, particularly when you look at more broadly Asia, which you want to look at as ex-Japan, particularly what's going on in China. As Jumbei has uh, pointed out, particularly given the, uh, the reopening there, uh, that's where you want to be. So it's a, a double sell uh, from both. The beta shares global uranium ETF. Um, Jumbei, it's too specky. Uh, she's not there at the moment. Um, and Phil does like the sector there at Shores, uh, but has a hold uh, stock specifically. They've got a series there they're probably preferring, such as uh, Paladin. Uh, the iShares Core Composites uh, ETF, that's exposure into uh, bonds, both government and corporate. Uh, Phil's got a hold on it. Um, good entry into fixed income, is saying. But the Jumbe is arguing, well, you are an active equities manager there, so why bother? You're not there. It's all about growth for Jumbe. So it is a big pass from her. Uh, then into uh, the ag sector, New Farm. Uh, Jumbe is neutral on it. It's a, it's a hold given it's a cyclical stock and uh, Phil has a hold on it. Uh, Short term positive outlook, but perhaps potentially some concerns beyond that. Similarly there with Grain Corp too. Uh, Phil has a hold on it saying volumes are likely to drop and past its next results, which Jumbe agrees with, but she's got a sell on it uh, given it's likely to be down from there. So that is our show for today. Just quickly, I want to ask you, given earnings season in the States begins tonight, our time, thoughts, your expectations? Oh, look, I think it'll be pretty tough earnings season. Uh, I, I'm surprised the market is rallying into it. Uh, we've got the financials first and, you know, things will be a little bit tough. Um, and the outlook, you will see more downgrades coming through. We heard it, already heard it from a couple of builders and, you know, the downgrades more than expected. So, uh, look, it's, I think it's going to be a tough earnings season. Cool. I'm watching the financials, in particular mm. the banks, in the next few Which days, and, with, yep. yeah, and the impact on our share market. Mm. So, I'm expecting some messy results and um, varied outlook statements, and that will impact our share market mm. in the coming days. So, that's for me in the next seven days. It's about the financials and um, what we can read into into Australia, because as we discussed before, inflation's different, target interest rates are different, but a lot of the drivers are related. Terrific stuff. Uh, great show. Thanks for doing that, Phil. Thanks for joining us in Shoreham Partners. Thank you. And Bay from Trebekah. Thank, Thank you. All right. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flex an email the call at ausbiz.com.au or you can tweet us at TV. Stay with us. Small Caps is next. Mm-hmm.